simply to praise him because he's God. Will I praise him for his sovereignty in all things? What is, what is man that, that's God even mindful of him? Why did he visit us? What value do you, what value do I have to God? You remember what God told his people? He said, uh, I didn't choose you because you were so great or because there were so many of you. He said, really, the only value you have to me is I've placed my love on you. That's the only reason we have any value to God. He's placed his love on us. <clears throat> Brother Mark talked about what eternity might be. You ever thought about that? How we'd praise God eternally? You know, I think of a scripture... It says, this is eternal life, to be able to know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. And I think that has a double meaning. I think that means that in eternity, it will be an eternal discovery to know God. He is so big, I can't even explain this, but anyway... I think it will be an eternal discovery to know God and our praises will be new and renewed every moment. What an awesome thought. What an awesome God. What an awesome Savior. Well, there was a remark that was made this morning that stuck in my mind, and I'm not sure I'll have it word for word, but it went something like this. To be able to be thankful and to be able to praise God and to be able to glorify God, I will have to overcome myself. And I've thought quite a bit this week about Jesus' last uh, few days before his crucifixion. And as I heard that remark this morning, I was drawn to a passage in John's Gospel, and uh, maybe we'll just read a few verses here from John the 12th chapter if you care to follow along you can you know that the the feasts were important to the children of Israel especially this feast of Passover they wanted to be able to observe this and so there were a lot of people at Jerusalem about this time of year and not only, not only Jews were there. We're going to pick this up in the 20th verse of the chapter 12. It says there, there were certain Greeks also among them that came up to the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. I'd like for you to remember that statement. We want to see Jesus over these series of worship services. That's what we have come to do. 
to see him and to worship him. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And, and now let's listen to what Jesus said here. This seems almost exactly opposite of any kind of human reasoning. Jesus answered them saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So what he was saying here, he's, he's saying in order to live and to see Jesus, he's going to have to die. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, that where I am, there also shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. And I think this verse Mark quoted this morning too. This was the purpose of Jesus' coming. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So why did the, why was the feast so important to these Jewish people? It was to celebrate their freedom from bondage. They had been set free and they were from the bondage in Egypt and they were to come and celebrate this, and Jesus is saying the only way to celebrate freedom is to die. Seems almost opposite of what it should be, doesn't it? So our Passover and our feast is really important to us too, isn't it? It's not the same as the Jewish Passover was, but it's our Passover. It's our love feast, and it's important to us. And if I am going to enjoy that feast, I must die to myself and any kind of sin in my life to receive a blessing and a benefit. I, I'm just going to read two more verses that will uh, maybe somewhat explain that to us. And you don't have to turn over here if you don't want to. But they're in Corinthians. They read like this. Purge out. Therefore, the old leaven, and that's sin in my life or myself or my desire or what Mark was saying this morning, everything that's focused about me, purge all that out that I might become a new lump as ye are unleavened. Now, this is the verse, part of the verse we wanted. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So I'm going to encourage us as we examine ourselves this afternoon, and I don't know what all Mark will have before us with that, but let's ask ourselves whether we really, really 100% believe that Jesus Christ has the full right to redeem our souls. He did everything possible to be our redeemer.
Do I really believe that? Will I really partake of this feast, this love feast, in faith? So we want to be able to receive a blessing as we've come to celebrate this together. And uh, I don't know whether we usually always have a prayer right now or not, but I think we'll do that. Maybe we'll just ask everybody to stand up and we'll just have a prayer here. Father God, I just want to lift my voice in thanksgiving and praise to you, Lord, for who you are. You're just a sovereign God that we worship. And we don't understand that, but we believe it by faith. And we thank you that you have been mindful of us. You've set your love on us, even while we were unlovely. While we were the cockroach in the dinner plate, you have loved us. You've set your love on us. And we thank you that you have done that even while we were yet sinners, and Christ died for each one of us. Help us to remember that. Help us to celebrate that. Help us to have that renewed in our mind today, this evening, that Christ died for us. We can't remove all of our leaven, unleaven in our lives and our sin, but we know that Jesus can. And so we trust him, trust his shed blood for our sin, trust his resurrection for our life, and we just pray that you would grant each of us a blessing as we observe the ordinances that you've given us to keep and to have a blessing by. Father, I pray this afternoon that you will bless Brother Mark as he opens your word and you give him a message again. I just pray you would bless him with thoughts that would inspire, encourage, and especially that would glorify your name. Just pray all these things through our most precious Redeemer, Jesus Christ.
Turn your Bibles with me, if you would, to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter. I want to read the first 12 verses of 2 Thessalonians. We'll begin at verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there, be, except there come a falling away first. And the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, shewing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you I told you these things? And now ye know that what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness and unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved." And for this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. They might all be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. We welcome you here this afternoon and trust that as we have gathered together again that it is with the intention to bless the Lord. We call this the examination service. I would submit to you that every service should be a time of examination, that when we look into the Word of God, we're looking into the perfect law of God. We're looking into the truth of the Word. And that truth of the Word is extremely important, and that's pointed out in this chapter. I want uh, to refer to that. My wife told me before we began this service, she said it was 
She said, I need to be enthusiastic so I can keep everybody awake. And I said, that's not my job. That's not my job. But I do want to preach the truth. If nothing else, I need to preach the truth. And there's a passage in this portion of Scripture that we read in 2 Thessalonians, the second verse, or the second chapter, that talks about the love of the truth. And that's what I would title this this afternoon, Love the Truth. First of all, we have to acknowledge that the truth that is spoken of here is the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is really the only truth in the world that really matters because all other truth comes from that truth. And all that that truth entails from God's creation of the world, the fall of man, the atonement, the death and resurrection of Jesus, and the reality of eternity, everything else springs from that truth. And so we have to acknowledge that first of all. But behind truth is, the, is an overarching concept. And that concept is reality. And there's an awful lot of people who don't want to live in reality today. An awful lot of people in the world are searching for reality and can't seem to find it. And every morning when we wake up, we have to, we have to live with and deal with and react to the reality of the day that is facing us. But the problem is that those daily things can entail uh, so much anxiety and so much focus and attention that we lose track of what the reality is behind everything else. And for Christians, we need to be awake and aware of what truth is and how it affects every aspect of our life from the time that we get up in the morning and as we face the day. Behind truth is the overarching concept of reality, that there are facts in existence which do not change whether or not we believe them or even know about them. And there are truths that are amoral. That is, whether we know about them, they have no effect on our walk with God. Scientific facts. The earth is 93 some odd million miles from the sun. There's been millions of people who have been born and lived their lives and died never knowing that the earth revolves around the sun 93 plus million miles away. And they were still faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is an amoral fact. And we can't change it. We can't change the earth's orbit. It doesn't really matter. And there's all kinds of scientific truths that we haven't even as mankind figured out yet. The vastness of our universe is, is just a constant theme to me when I think about the size of mankind and even the size of the earth in comparison to the universe that God has created. And there are millions upon millions upon millions of facts about the entire universe that mankind will probably never figure out no matter how long God delays his second coming. And before he folds it all up and puts it away, before it burns up with a great and fervent heat. But the facts are that those facts don't really matter. But there are other truths that are foundational to everything in life, and these collectively are called the truth in Scripture. Truth is recognized, like we talked about this morning, as having an intrinsic value by most people. Most people recognize that there is an intrinsic value in truth, and they base a lot of their lives upon truth. We talked about the earth being 93 million miles from the sun, and what that means is, is that typically we're going to be able to walk outside our houses 
especially in the summertime, and we're going to be able to uh, exist in the temperatures that exist. Now, we might have to put on coats, or we might have to uh, take our coats off, but within that reality, we can live outside, and we base our, our, our activities upon that truth. The problem that we find in our experiences is not that truth is not good, but oftentimes the truth is hard to ascertain. It's hard to figure out. It's hard to know. Even when we know that there is truth to be found in a matter, there are people who swear to opposite truths that cannot both be true. Lots of competition among truths. And even the concept of truth has come under attack. Because when you want to make something into a lie, you have to attack the truth. And the truth of the gospel has been under attack since the day it was established. It was under attack uh, from Satan from the day that it was established. When Jesus uh, began his ministry and he began to tell people the truth, he met the woman at the well and he told her the truth and she ran back into town and she says, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. He told her the truth and it appealed to her in such a way because she had been living a complete lie. And when we come face to face with Jesus Christ, we have to understand that he is going to tell us nothing but the truth. There is no lie within God, but the world in which we live tells us plenty of lies, and it has caused many people to refuse to acknowledge and believe the underlying truth of this life that we live. Even when we know that there is truth to be found in a matter, people will swear to opposite truths, and we find it difficult to find the truth. Someone once observed that it is not what people don't know that is a problem, but rather the things they know that aren't true. And that is that people believe lies and it creates problems and they act on what they believe. We act on what we believe, don't we? Even if we say we believe one thing, our actions sometimes give lie to the fact that we don't really believe that. How far do you have to go until you can prove that from your own life? We say that we love the Lord, but sometimes we act like we really don't love Him. We talked about worship and, and uh, praise earlier this morning and that is true we sometimes say that we love the Lord and we praise God we use we throw about that uh, that that saying praise God because we know that it is expected in that context the Lord healed me praise God do we really mean that do we really believe that it was God who did the healing or the medications and the doctors and all of the insurance companies that paid for all that the most diabolical lie is the one with truthful elements that appear to give validity to the lie. And there are also those who, not valuing truth in their own hearts, exploit the desire in the hearts of others to tell them lies presented as truth and so lead them away. That's happened since the time of Jesus. In fact, it happened even earlier than that. And you know, in the things that matter, we can know the eternal truth by the Word of God. The Word of God is true. God is true. And God has never told us a lie. He's never led us astray. It's only the confusion in the hearts of men that lead us to not believe the things that God has told us. And sometimes our experiences in life are so difficult, we question, has God really told us the truth in everything? And there are things in the scripture that are too deep for our minds, and we can't tease out what seems to be the truth. We don't understand them. 
The apostle tells us that now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Praise God, there is coming a day when we don't have to question God, that he's going to lay everything out for us, and that everything that is worth knowing, we are going to know. But he's also given us in his word today, from again, Genesis to the Revelation, things that we need to know in order to know God, because when we know God, we know the truth. Paul in Romans 1 verses 24 and 25 says, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Paul is simply acknowledging the fact that we as human beings have the propensity and the ability to take the truth of God and tweak it to our liking to the extent that what is true when God says it becomes a lie when we try to repeat it. Because we have made it into our own image and we say it in such a way that it becomes a lie. Brother Phil's pointed out from this Romans chapter 1 that we're living in a time when because of the rejection of God, he's given people over to a reprobate mind. And they are madly rushing to change the truth of God into a lie. And it's amazing the things that you can see published today, which we know to be completely false and utter nonsense. And yet there are people who believe it. Peter indicates that even in the church, false teachers will propagate lies, teaching heresies. Because of the rejection of God, he has given people over to a reprobate mind, and they teach heresies even within the church. In Peter, the second chapter, verse 2, he says, And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Folks, we're following the way of truth when we're following the scriptures when we're following the way of God and all that that entails. So we must carefully choose what we read and listen to in this age. Surely we won't fall to the lies of Satan, but we must know that we are targets of his. We must know that we are targets of his. You know, the internet is full of information, but it carries also the truth of the gospel. We can go online and we can read the scriptures but also we can read the lies of Satan. We choose what we read and we choose what we believe and we choose what we see. Jesus said, and keep this in mind, he said he came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. But the flip side of that is that Satan is on the earth to destroy not those of a reprobate mind. He already has those. He is out to destroy those who know the truth. And he often does so by causing us to question what the truth really is and getting our minds so confused that we're able to believe a lie. Peter warned that our adversary, the devil, like a lion, is ever watchful and on the prowl to destroy. And the seeds of destruction are often sown as doubt. The first of those seeds was planted as a question that germinated into doubt. Yea, hath God said. Satan said it to Eve in the Garden of Eden so many years ago when the, when the creation was fresh and new and God had revealed himself to man and they had harmony and fellowship in the Garden of Eden. And what happened? Satan came and said to Eve, Yea, hath God said, and it planted a seed of doubt. And then he followed that up with an utter, complete, and bald-faced lie. 
Because when she responded, yes, God has said, we shall not eat of the trees of the garden and so forth and so on. And, and, and Satan looked her in the eye and he said, that is a lie. It is not true. God, you will not die. But God knows that in the day that you eat thereof, you will become as gods, knowing good and evil. And Eve said, ooh, that sounds good. Maybe God didn't really mean what he said. And she took of the fruit, and she gave to her husband also, and they did eat. And thus the fall of man came by disobedience to the direct commandment of God. And we've been doing it ever since. And time after time after time comes into our head, yea, hath God said... And the answer is, nah, he didn't really say that. He didn't mean that. Surely he didn't mean that. It's not convenient for me. It's not good for me. It's difficult for me. So surely God didn't really mean that. You know, all of us here would confirm that we love the truth. Everybody here, I'm sure that if I said, do you love the truth, you would feel compelled to raise your hand. I love the truth. I love the truth. But when the truth exposes our sin, it becomes much more lackluster. As Paul wrote to the, to the Thessalonian brethren in that chapter that we read in, in verses 9 and 10, he points out that there's coming a day when after the working of the power of Satan, through signs and lying wonders, with all deceivableness and of unrighteousness in them that perish, it's going to happen because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Friends, above all else, we, we need to love God, but to love God is to love the truth because there is no deceit in God. And we need to be a people in whom there is no deceit. We need to be a people in whom there is no deceit in that we would try to deceive others and that we would not try to deceive ourselves. And when it comes to self-examination, we need to be a people who love the truth because the truth exposes sin in our lives. The truth exposes the lies that we tell ourselves about ourselves and about our relationship with God. And so many times the sin in our life is made possible not simply because we want to do evil, but because we convince ourselves that evil is not really against the will of God or that God, because he is forgiving, will forgive this sin and therefore it's okay for us to do that. Matthew 7, 21 says something that makes me tremble and I, I want us to remember that Jesus said that. And this is how it goes in Matthew the 7th chapter, verse 21, 2 and 3. Jesus is teaching, and he's teaching people to whom this might be a new concept. But he says to them, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, and he's talking about the day that we will be called before the Lord. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works, and he and I will profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Friends, is it possible that in an, in an, in an auditorium with, with people in it like this, who profess the name of Jesus Christ, who profess to love the truth, who profess to know the Lord. 
Is it possible that among us, among those of us sitting here or standing here in this auditorium today, there are those of us to whom the Lord will say someday, depart from me, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You know what iniquity is? This passage makes me tremble because Jesus indicated that in the kingdom. He said the kingdom. Let's reread that. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in, that, in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. When somebody is doing something in the name of the Lord, it means that they're within what they believe to be the kingdom. What everybody around them would perceive to be the kingdom. They're in the church. The kingdom of God is the church. And they're doing works. They're doing stuff. They're movers and shakers. They're doing things. It says they profess the name of Christ to other people. They've even cast out devils. How do you do that if you have a reprobate mind? But Jesus says it's going to be so. It's going to be possible. It's going to be done. And so there are those who in the church have the appearance of the righteousness, but have, have the appearance of the righteous, but have never known the Lord Jesus Christ, and more importantly, are not known of Him. Is that true of us? Is there someone in here who will say, Lord, Lord, I've done works in your name, I've worked in your name, and the Lord will reply, I never knew you, depart from me, because you are depraved. So many times when we think about self-examination, we think about it in terms of, have I done something that I need to be to ask forgiveness for? Is there someone with whom I'm on the outs? Someone uh, who is holding something against me? Is there something in my past that I need to confess before the Lord? And all that's good. But we so often focus on our works, our sin. But you know what Jesus said here? Depart from me, I never knew you, ye that work iniquity. Ye that work iniquity. You know what iniquity is? It's a deceived mindset that doesn't recognize the truth, that operates out of false assumptions, having rejected the word of God that they pretend to embrace. The iniquitous mind is depraved and perverse. And amazingly, I'm not sure that people with iniquitous minds even recognize that they have it because they're believing a lie. They don't believe the truth. They haven't received a love of the truth. Do you and I love the truth? Even though it convicts us, even though it points out our sins, our shortcomings, our failures, if we don't love the truth, we're never going to own up to those things. We're never going to even recognize within ourselves that we have an iniquitous mind, a mind that is fleeing from God even while it, it seems to profess the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the, in the parable of the wheats and the tares, what did Jesus say? He said it was a guy that went out and sowed a field. And they, as, after they sold the field, sowed the field, after it came up and was beginning to flourish, the servants notice that there were tares among the wheat and they go to the master, they go to the farmer and they say, should we go out there and pull up these tares? And the farmer says to them, no, let them go. 
Because while you, when you pull them up, you'll also pull up some of the wheat. Let them go until the time of the harvest, and then the tares will be separated from the wheat. And what was Jesus saying? He's saying in the kingdom of God, there's going to be tares, there's going to be disbelievers, there's going to be people with iniquitous minds, and they're going to appear to be that which was planted. But God is going to let them go until the end when they come before the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me, I never knew you because of your depravity of your mind. See, the problem with the depravity of mind is that nobody can see in our heads. Jesus said, by their works you shall know them, and maybe by their, or by their fruits you shall know them. Maybe because the tares have no fruit. I'm not sure exactly how to reconcile all that with what Jesus said about letting them go until the time of the judgment. But whatever else it means, it certainly means that within the kingdom there's going to be those who profess to believe, be believers but really in reality are not. And I know that all of us at times maybe have some questions or doubts when things are really going tough and it seems like the Lord is not answering prayers and we feel like we're pushing that boulder up the hill all by ourselves. We don't understand why God is not answering prayers. And it's been weeks, months, or years and God doesn't seem to be answering prayers and we don't understand what's going on and we don't understand why we're struggling so hard in some moral uh, area that it is easy for us to wonder, are we even saved? Does God even love us? Are we on the path? Are we in the kingdom? We begin, we, when we begin to ask questions like that, I believe that we can find some answers in Scripture. And it begins with, do we love the truth? People who fool those around them into thinking they are righteous, that they're washed in the word, but they, and they might be able to believe, deceive others, but they don't deceive Christ. And he will tell them what? He will tell them the truth. God is in the business of truth, and his word is truth. And if we allow our minds and hearts to be washed in truth every day, no matter how hard it might be, and walk in the truth, our lives will be blessed beyond measure. And again, we think immediately, ah, God's going to give us stuff. When we're blessed of God, it means we, he gives us stuff. Yeah, but the stuff he give us, gives us might not be able to be touched, taste, smelled. James 1.18 says, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. We are begotten in the truth. And if we don't love the truth, if we don't continue in the truth, if we don't understand the truth, and if we don't love the truth, we're fooling ourselves. We were begotten with the word of truth that we should become a firstfruits, a kind of firstfruits of his creature. John, creatures. John says in, one, in, in first chapter, uh, verse 17, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The truth is something, is, is an element uh, of, of reality in the world that we as, as God's people must hang on to because we live in a time full of lies. Guess what? We've always lived in a time full of lies because as soon as mankind was created, Satan was there to deceive. We've got to be a people who are marked by truth. 
who are defined by truth, who understand what the truth is, who live by the truth, who express the truth in their daily lives, who love the truth in every aspect of it. Truth is not our enemy. It is our comfort and stability and immovable baseline against which all experiences that we have in life, all ideas, all philosophies, all theologies, all impulses can be weighed and either discarded as false and destructive or as true and righteous. We must love the truth because its source is the origin of all that's good. That's God. We must love the truth because it engenders righteousness in our lives and in others. We must love the truth because truth leads to everlasting life. We must love truth because it glorifies God. We must love truth because it exposes lies. And as we take take the time this afternoon before our communion service uh, to think about our lives and examine our relationship with our Heavenly Father, we need to let the truth wash our minds and hearts in the Word because inevitably it will expose the lies that we tell ourselves and expose sin. We must love the truth because it cleanses the soul by the Word of Christ. The truth is not subject to our wills and desires. It is, does not change for our convenience. It testifies of the standard of holiness outside and above us by which all men will be judged, and it does not change. It is not a moving target. We don't have to wonder if the truth is different today than it was yesterday. It is not only immutable, it is eternal because it is Because it is given by God, it is a definition of who God is. How do we do truth? John 3.20 says, For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, and his deeds... Maybe that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. How do we do truth? He that doeth truth. How do we do it? Now, first of all, we have to recognize what truth is. We have to trust the God of truth. We have to live by the truth, practice the truth, and when we're doing that, we're doing truth. When we think, we think from a truthful perspective. When we speak, we speak the truth. What we do, we do because the truth has dictated the things that we do. We wash every day in the truth. When we get up in the morning, our prayer to God should be, God, let me live truthful to you and to your word today. Guide me in all that I think and all that I say and all that I do. Help me know the truth and recognize the truth, speak the truth and live the truth. And when we do that, we'll be doing the truth. And I believe it won't be quite so hard for us to accept the truths that are difficult for mankind. When we think, we think from a truthful perspective. We speak from the truth and we walk in the light. Are you walking in the light? I want to reread those verses from John. The third chapter, verse 20 says, For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. That is, we take out our deeds and we hold them in the spotlight of the truth of the word. That is the light of God. And we examine them to see if they comport with the truth of the scripture, with the will of God. God, does this hold up? Does it measure up? Is it according to your will? 
And when we are walking that way, we're not afraid to expose ourselves to the light. Are you walking in the light then? Those words of Jesus are words of truth. He that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest, whether they are wrought in God or that they are wrought in God. From the time that we're young and when we begin to understand what the Lord is calling of us, that he's calling us not to beat us down, and not to beat us up because of our sinful nature, but he calls us to him to clean, cleanse us and call us out of unrighteousness to righteousness, to, to free us from sin and give us the freedom, of uh, the moral freedom to walk before him. We need to take out that, <clears throat> that bag of sins and dump them out in the light and see what they really are and how they separated us from God and how he has washed us clean in the blood. And then every day take out those things that, that, are, that are, are, are our intentions, our, that are our speech, that are our motivations, and hold them up to the light of the word and see if they pass muster. Is this according to the will of God? And if it isn't, we abandon them so that we're not abandoned by the Lord because no sin can come into the presence of God. And we claim every day that we're walking with the Lord. And the Lord Jesus Christ says that he will come when, when we put aside our sin. And when we put aside uh, our slavery uh, to sin, that he will come and abide with us and we will abide with him. Know ye not, he said, that ye are the temples of the living God. We're no longer slaves to sin. We are freed from that. And by being freed and washed and cleansed, we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. But God can't be in the presence of sin. So we have to love truth we have to love the light of God and we he that doeth truth comes to the light every day we walk into the light we walk in the light and we let God reprove us of anything that is not acceptable to him first John I want to read from the fifth verse down through the eighth First John chapter 1, beginning at verse 5, says, <clears throat> This then is the message which ye have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Again, we can't walk with God, with him in us, and walk in darkness. It's either darkness or light. There's no gray area. It'd be nice if there were gray areas because we could hang on to the light but still hang on to self. God doesn't provide that for us. We're either walking in light or we're walking in darkness. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanseth us from all sin. Before we surround the tables this evening, we need to examine ourselves. Are we walking in the light? Is there anything really there that we're trying to hold on to in the shadows, that we leave in the shadows? We, we walk in the light uh, uh, as, as we want other people to believe, but we also want to hang on to those shadows. And God said it's not possible for us to do. Bring it into the light. Bring it into the light. Look it up. Look at it. Is it according to the will of God? 
You know, we, we like those gray areas because it allows us a little bit of leeway uh, to harbor a little bit of bitterness or a, a little bit of hatred or a little bit of, of sin in whatever may, way it may be, a little bit of lust maybe. Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Whatever it may be, we can kind of drag that along out in the shadow and live the rest of our time in the light. And God said it's either one or the other. There's no shadows here. It's either darkness or light. If we examine ourselves, we need to really lay it all out before the Lord. Just lay them out. Lay it out in the light. He'll tell us. And let it be washed in the water of the word. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We acknowledge what the scripture says, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But praise God, because of his great love wherewith he loved us, he made a way and a provision for us through the blood of Christ, through his own only begotten son, that his broken body and his shed blood might be given for us, that we are cleansed from all unrighteousness. Now let us walk in righteousness. That means to walk in the light, to lay it all out before the Lord and say, Lord, take away those things whereof I have no strength, but you've got the strength uh, to take it all away, to wash it, to make me walk in the word and the light. In verse 9, if we confess our sins as believers and unbelievers, he is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. It's cut and dried. It's open and shut. It's light and darkness. The word is clear. We either believe it or we don't believe it. We either praise him for it or refuse to praise him for it. And we either walk in the light or we walk in darkness. I'd, it'd be real nice to be able to stand up here and say uh, this afternoon that, you know, God, he's, he's a God of love, and he is. I will say that. The scripture introduces him as a God of love. That verse that our brother alluded to in, in Romans 5, where God commendeth his love for us. He commendeth, he proved it. That's what commend means. He proved his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, before we ever came to God, we had no volition of our own to come to God. Before we even had a thought of coming to God, before we even knew God existed, before all of that, God commended his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That takes it all away from us and puts it all on God. He made the advance toward us. He gave us the way. He paid it all. And we owe him all. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But what is our thought about walking in the light? Do we love the truth because it reproves our sin? Because of our own guilt and shame, we don't want other people to know that load or that burden that we're carrying. But God is either true or he's a liar. And we as believers believe that God is true. And what he says in his word is, what John wrote down, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just. He's not like us. He doesn't waffle. He doesn't go back on his word and he doesn't lie. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not part of it, all of it. And because of that, we can stand before him in his righteousness, in the robes he's given to us. And brothers and sisters, believe it or not, we can walk in the light. We can do this, not because we have the strength on our own, 
but because he is faithful. He is faithful. He doesn't lie, and he is light. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18 says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. In other words, our love is to be genuine. That's what John says there. Brethren, let us love not in word, neither in tongue, same thing, but in deed and in truth. And then verse 19, he says, And hereby, by this, by this walking in love for God and for our fellow man, in reality, hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Folks, there are ways to know if we're walking in the truth, if we love the truth, if we express our love not by talking about it, talk is cheap, but by our actions and our, and our hearts and in our hearts. We face the truth in our hearts and we ask Christ to reveal the innermost secrets Paul, in talking to the Corinthians back there in the 11th chapter that we often read before we surround the tables, <clears throat> Paul says now in the 17th verse of that 11th chapter, now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not that you come together for the better, but for the worse. There was problems in the church. There was divisions. There was divisions caused by unbelief. And people were doing as people do. They were being selfish. And he calls them out on it, and then he says in verse 23, for what I received of the Lord, that which I all, for I have received of the Lord, that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, keep in mind, this is the Lord who would shortly go out and pray Father, if there be any way, take this cup from me. But not as I will, but as you will. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup of the new, is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. When we surround the tables this evening, we have the opportunity and the invitation again to come into the presence of the Lord and break bread and drink that which is a commemoration of God's great love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is a truth which is so important to us and again, it is mind-blowing how little value and importance we place on it at times because we place so many other things in life ahead of. I just urge us this afternoon as we gather around these tab the tables this evening that as we commemorate the broken body where Jesus took upon himself the burden of sin, every sin of every man in all times, he took upon himself that burden. 
He took upon himself the beating, the scourging, the pain, the rejection of his fellow man and the rejection of his heavenly father. He took upon himself all of that pain and rejection and he did it for you and for me. That we might have life, Jesus said, and that we might have it more abundantly. He did it so that we could come into that relationship with the Father. Friends, we need to love the truth because the truth is constant. And as we gather around those tables this evening, we are acknowledging and we are, we are acknowledging that truth and we are worshiping the Father who is true. For as oft as ye eat this bread, Jesus said, and drink this cup, ye do shew the Lord's death till he come. We remember the Lord's death, we acknowledge the Lord's death, and we praise God that Jesus was willing to come and give his life for us, take upon himself our sins, and shed his blood that we might be cleansed of all our unrighteousness. Then he goes on to say that... There was in that time people who would surround those tables and not be discerning of what the Lord had done. Even in those days, how many years was this after the Lord had been crucified, buried, and rose again and ascended to his Father? Not all that many years. And yet there were people in that time who were celebrating this feast together who were communing together in honor and commemoration of the Lord, who were coming together not to do that, but simply because it was the thing to do. It was because it's what the church did. And he says in verse 28, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat that bread and drink that cup, so that we do so worthily. That means in honor of, not forgetting what God Christ has done for us. Let a man examine himself. First and foremost, let's not concentrate only on our relationships with others that where we might have failed. But let us first and foremost look at our relationship with God. Bring out into the light those things which stand between us and God. Which stand between us and our love of God. Which stand between us and our service to God in a way that brings Him honor and glory. So that we might, when we sit around the tables this evening, actually praise God for the Lord Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, who gave Himself for us that we might have hope of eternal life. Friends, I'm telling you, when we're standing in heaven before God, everything else is going to be cleared away. All of the things that we place importance on in this life are going to be cleared away. We're not going to remember any of it. What we're going to remember is that God, out of His great love, provided a way for us to be cleansed of all of our unrighteousness. Out of His great love, not ours. Out of His act of compassion and grace and mercy for us who knew no righteousness from Him who knew no sin. And He made a way. Bring it out into the light. It's not worth it to keep it hidden inside. Bring it into the light. Let God examine us. And then Paul says, so let us eat and drink that we might honor our Lord Jesus Christ. What a blessing we have in being able to surround tables of communion with one another in the Lord.
We're not going to be commuting this evening just with one another. We're going to be commuting with the Lord. To be communing is, in that sense, to be united together. And I trust this evening as we surround those tables that we will be communing with one another, that there's nothing between us that is so silly sometimes that we allow it uh, to divide us, like Paul was talking about in that early church in, in Corinth. It's not, it's not worth it. There is nothing in this life, not the biggest mansion, not the biggest possession, not the most costly jewels, nothing that is more important that should divide you and I as brothers and sisters in the faith. And especially there's nothing that should separate us from our Heavenly Father. Remember what God told mankind. It is your sin that is separated between you and God. But I've cleared it out of the way through the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise his name for that. And as we surround the tables this evening, may we be a people who are ultimately thankful about the great mercy wherewith God has loved us, that he gave his only begotten son, that we, through him, might have eternal life. What shall we sing?